to disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. I'm still not over the fact that they didn't make the playoffs, but man, do we have our head coach of the future, Joe Judge. I mean, overall, I look at this year as a success, and that was the icing on the cake to take a subliminal shot at the Eagles after what Doug Pearson pulled Sunday night. Absolutely loved it. And welcome to the first episode of Old School of Sport of 2021. Max is off this week, so Matt Nikolai is taking his place as co-host Matt. Thank you very much for joining me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I know it was a little last minute, but I really do appreciate you joining me. And uh, I think uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's just me and you this time, and uh, I think uh, we'll have some fun with it. Let's do it. Yeah, we got a lot of talk, lot to talk about. Yeah, we... 2021 off in a bang. Yeah, exactly. We will talk about Doug Pearson and the Eagles' decision later in the show. We'll talk about... The Jets firing of Adam Gase. Take a look at some of the top head coach candidates. We'll preview the NFL playoffs. But first, let's start off with some college football. So the semifinals, the bowl games between the top four teams occurred last Friday. And first, number one overall, Alabama dominated. Number four, Notre Dame, 31-14. to 14. Notre Dame once again being embarrassed in a pivotal top-tier matchup against one of the elite programs in college football currently, that is Alabama. Alabama, since the college football playoffs began in 2014, no other school has more championship appearances than them. It is their fifth trip in seven years. Overall, they're 2-2 two and two in the big game. Their last appearance was in 2019 where they got blown out by Trevor Lawrence. Really, really the start of the Trevor Lawrence hype, but they were blown out by Clemson. And their last victory, their last championship, came in 2018. Everyone remembers that big second-half comeback against Georgia. Jalen Hurts benched for Tua. He was able to get the job done. The other game, it was expected to go the other way and a lot more closer, but Ohio State shocked Number two, Clemson. They blew out the Tigers 49-28. to Dabo Sweeney, head coach of Clemson, had to eat his words. Prior to their matchup, Sweeney made a couple of comments. First, he said that a team that's only played six games shouldn't be in the playoffs. He also ranked them the 11th best team in the nation in his coach's poll. Matt, the big game is set. It will be... Number three, Ohio State against number one, Alabama. But first, what did you take away from those two games? What what did you think of the matchups? So I, I thought the first matchup, I thought Bama and Notre Dame went pretty much exactly as I expected. I expected it to be a, a Bama route. Honestly, credit where credit is due. I thought Notre Dame, I, I know it was pretty much a blowout the whole game, but the fact that they covered the spread is something to be said in itself. I wasn't expecting them to even cover. I was expecting more of a blot. So 
props to Notre Dame for covering, but they're just clearly not in the same tier as the big dogs just yet. But I do think they showed that, I mean, anyone in the four seed probably would have gotten blown out. I mean, A&M also got blown out when they played Bama by even more. So Notre Dame clearly belonged. They were the fourth best team in, in my opinion, but Bama is just significantly better than them. And then the other game, I was definitely a little surprised. I thought Clemson was going to route Ohio State. Clearly did not go that way. I don't know why Dabo was giving Ohio State bulletin board material before the game. Didn't seem like there was a need for that. I mean, I know Ohio State only played six games this year, but they've shown year in and year out that they're one of the top two or three teams in all of college football. So the fact that you give them a little extra chip on their shoulder doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Clemson came out pretty flat and really looked bad the entire game. I mean, it was never really close at all. Ohio State dominated. Justin Fields looked phenomenal. I mean, in, in a potential number one and number two overall pick, Justin Fields clearly looked like the better quarterback at least that night. While I don't think Trevor Lawrence's status as the number one pick was jeopardized, does does make you think about a few things considering Fields just totally outplayed him. Yeah, well, six touchdowns will start to make you take a second look at Justin Fields and his draft stock. I'm not sure if that alone will have him selected over Lawrence, but it definitely, definitely doesn't hurt. But, Matt, I want to go back to the Notre Dame-Bama game for a second. And, listen, I consider myself a Notre Dame fan, but I've been very critical of them recently because... They go undefeated up until the ACC championship game. They get blown out by a fully healthy Clemson team. I didn't think that they deserved a college football spot. Again, they get blown out in a big-time game against a top-tier program in Alabama. And I get it, Matt. What you said is true. Texas A&M got blown out by them. They were the number five seed. They got blown out by them earlier in the year. But, Matt, do you think that this recent struggle of Notre Dame to not show up in the big games will come back to bite them? Because it seems that Notre Dame, all they have to do, remember, they're an independent team in the normal year. Every single year I keep hearing, oh, Notre Dame just has to go undefeated to make it. They just have to win every game to make the playoffs. That's good enough for Notre Dame. When at some point do we really say they're not one of the better programs in college football today? They're more of a brand name. They're more they're more driven by their history than anything else. Because I mean, Matt, they're they're not on the same field as Alabama. They're not on the same level as Clemson. They're not on the same level as Ohio State even. I, I just, I, I don't want to see Notre Dame continuing to get in just based on their name alone. I want to see more parity, more, more teams making the playoffs. I don't need to see Notre Dame make it every single year just to see one of the two biggest games of the year be a blowout. 
Victor, I, I totally hear you. I, I think that college football as a whole has a, an extreme parity issue. I mean, you look at the top three teams, they're so much better than everyone else. And look at a team like, for example, Cincinnati. What else could they have possibly done to get in? I mean, they went undefeated. They won their conference. What did they have to do to get into the college football playoff? Effectively, what the committee has shown is that they're only going to let the Blue Bloods in or someone that has a big name like Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame, in the two times that they have been in the college football playoff, they've gotten blown out. So it's just extremely – it's a tough time for college football, in my opinion. I – I don't like it. I want to see some of these smaller schools that have phenomenal seasons like Cincinnati, who should have beaten Georgia in their bowl game, but didn't. But that's aside from the point. Everything that they did in the regular season should have earned them a spot in the playoff. But no, instead, we're going to be stuck with the same three teams year in and year out. And they just seem to keep replenishing talent. And I think it's an an issue for college football as a whole. And clearly, the committee is only going to let those three teams in. And then if someone such as Notre Dame or another big name SEC school, if USC ever comes back, they'll let those in. But any other school, forget about it. You're not making the top four under any circumstances. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the committee is part of the problem. And I also, Matt, first off, Matt, good, good point on Cincinnati, because again, that's one of those schools that they did everything that they could. Now, again, scheduling is the school's decision. If Cincinnati wants to be taken more seriously and wants to get on the bigger stage, then they will have to start scheduling tougher opponents. And it's kind of one of those win-lose situations. It's a high-risk, high-reward type of thing. But I think you make a great point. And I even think that Cincinnati playing Georgia, tough. An SEC school, tough. And to the wire, all the way to the end, will actually help them in the long run, even though they didn't win that football game. It showed that they could at least compete on the same level as an SEC team. But, Matt, let me ask you this. With the college football format as it is, do you think that... I mean, obviously, I don't see the committee becoming open, more open-minded anytime soon. Do you think that more teams should be added to the playoffs? Because I, I, I personally think the top six should make it. I, I would be happy with six. I think anything more than that, maybe you could sell me on eight, but anything more than that, you're starting to get too, uh, too many teams involved and the playoff uh, drags out for the college football season. Yeah, so, so in your theoretical six-team playoff, would the top two seeds get buys then? Okay, yeah, I'd be okay with that, yeah. Okay, so... I agree. I think they need to expand it, but at the same time, so if they do expand it to six or even say eight teams, you're adding a couple extra games, which adds revenue, which is big for college football as a whole and what they'll be looking at. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the same issues will continue to come up. Will we be able to get teams like Cincinnati, maybe even a team like Coastal Carolina? Will we be able to get them? into that eight seed and have a chance to play someone like Bama, like Ohio State. 
that would be awesome. I would love to see it. They probably won't be able to put up a fight with Bama just because the Bama is so much better than everyone else. But I would love to see some of these teams have a shot. And with six or eight teams, I think they would have a much better shot. But at the same time, I think we always have the same issue where the name and the brand just means so much more. So even if we had six or eight teams, I still think that, okay, then great. A&M would, would have gotten in. Oklahoma would have gotten in. I mean, it would have just been the same. They probably would, like Florida would have been in too. I mean, still big time schools, still SEC heavy playoff. Right. It, it's just yeah. it's just the same thing. And it's effectively like, oh, are we going to watch? We're basically going to be watching the SEC championship. Both of those teams are automatically going to be into the playoff every single year. The Big Ten, I mean, Northwestern probably wouldn't have made it because they were wound up at like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're just still going to be seeing a lot of the same issues, I feel like, even adding it. I think there's just like a very fundamental issue with with the parity level. And a lot of these smaller teams just don't get respect from, from the committee. Yeah, I guess my point really was just to tie it all together is that, I mean, Notre Dame, let's face it, I really think that they got in on their name alone because you can't tell me after seeing them get blown out by Clemson that they're on the same level as Clemson, as Alabama, and you saw that in the bowl game as well. So I'm just saying that if... (laughs) Not even that if I'm going to see a blowout, I'd like to see a change up. It's just that, hey, why don't you get someone new in there? Let's see what they can do type of thing. Because Notre Dame is a big-time school based on their history at this point. They don't show up in the biggest games, and I don't need to see a replay of that every single college football playoff year in, year out. But... Moving on to the other game, I actually I was actually pulling and I predicted Ohio State to upset Clemson. I did not expect a blowout and real domination for most of the game. But my biggest thing is this, and it's two things. One, Dabo Sweeney having to eat his words. I don't know why he was so disrespectful to Ohio State. I don't know if he was jealous of them. I don't know what. But like you said, Matt, gave them unneeded bulletin board material, and let's not act that like they are scrubs. It's the Ohio State, Justin Fields, top two quarterback heading into the NFL draft, top two quarterback in the nation. He came out and he outplayed Trevor Lawrence. He showed up when his team needed it the most, and Ohio State showed that they are a top four team in the nation and deserve the right to play for the championship. Now, the second thing I want to bring up, and Matt, I'm sure you're aware that I am not the biggest Trevor Lawrence fan. And it's not even that I'm not the biggest Trevor Lawrence fan. It's just I don't understand all this hype for him. I don't understand why people look at him as the Messiah, the second coming of the Golden Age quarterback. And... What I want to point out is that no one else seems to be bringing up is in his last two biggest games, he's lost both of them. He's 0-2 in his last big games. 
He lost this one to Ohio State. It was a blowout. And then last year, he lost the championship game against LSU. He and Clemson were embarrassed. 42-25 to in that game. He was just 18-37 with just over 230 pass yards. Against Ohio State, he was better. 33-48, of 48, 400 yards, 2 TDs with a pick. But Matt, where was he when Ohio State went on a 28-0 run? When... It was a 14-7 Clemson game, and then in the blink of an eye, it's 35-14 Ohio State. Where was he? I don't understand why this man, this quarterback, gets all the praise when his team is winning, and then he gets blown out in the two biggest games in the last calendar year, and no one says anything about it. It's just, it's not his fault. People don't... People don't bat an eye at it. No one, his draft stock, I haven't heard anything. Nothing. I, I just don't understand why this man is already getting, I like to call the Steph Curry treatment. He can't do anything wrong in anyone's eyes. No, I, I hear you. It's, I think people are, is he overhyped a little bit? Sure, I, I tend to agree. And Clemson has, clearly superior rosters to a lot of most of the pretty much every team it plays except for Alabama, Ohio State, LSU last year. So you're totally right. The fact that in two of those, yes, they did beat Ohio State in the semis last year. But to your point, I think it is a problem in when similar talent level was on the field opposite him he did not show that he was the consensus number one pick and the like you said messiah that can do no wrong i mean he did he play horribly no but he definitely did not do anything where it made it seem like he was the best player on the field because he was definitely not the best player on the field last weekend. Justin what? Fields was yeah. clearly the best player on the field. I, I was just about to say not the best quarterback on the field. Justin Fields right. was that against Clemson. But yeah, so I just, I, I don't understand. And again, I'm not actively rooting against Lawrence and I'm not saying that he won't be a great NFL quarterback. I just don't understand. Like Clemson got beat down and their offense struggled at a point. They had one, two, three, three straight punts, two of them three and outs. And it's just like, okay, when are we going to start to point the blame at Trevor Lawrence in that offense to lose 49 to 28 in a game where a lot of people thought you were the heavy favorites. I, I just don't understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I will also say their defense did not do any did them any favors. They couldn't stop Ohio State for anything. Well, that but, that that is true because their defense not only suffered a couple injuries during the game, but they had a couple of players miss some time due to some target targeting calls. And you're right, the defense did not help out their offense whatsoever. Right, and and that I think. That's something in itself. Their defense couldn't stop Ohio State all day. And that is what it is. But if you're the best quarterback in at the college level and projected to be the consensus number of one overall pick, at some point you have to put 
put the team on your back and do something, make a play here and there. And he really didn't, didn't do that at all well, throughout the game. Well, Matt, just uh, the last thing about the Clemson defense, most most yards given up by Clemson defense under Sweeney, so they had a horrible performance. But Matt, like you said, put the team on your back and get it done. When the Jets were in line to get Trevor Lawrence, I presume you and many other Jet fans I know were awfully excited for him to come to the team, for him to be the quarterback of the future. I see a game like that. I see a game like that, and I'm like, why do people think that quarterback is the answer, is the answer to all of the team's problems? Because I'm not saying saying that Clemson isn't – is lacking talent, but – when he's not getting help from other guys, it's not like he can do everything by himself. And he showed that. He showed that against Ohio State. He showed that against LSU. So it, that's why I get so frustrated. Yes, he could be a good quarterback, but he can't. He's not going to solve all of your team's problems. You still need to build a team around him. And while Clemson wins with him, they also lose with him as well. And I just don't. I just don't understand why he's not shouldering more of the blame. Right. And to your point, I think a team like the Jets, for example, they have a ton of issues and so many gaps to fill. A lot of Jets fans, I mean, I even started to believe it at one point, when deep down I I always knew if Trevor Lawrence is on the Jets next year, are they going to be a playoff team or even close to that? No, they're not. And games like this show that when he, I don't, I just don't know if he's able to put the team on his back and bring other people, elevate the talent around him. And and, and it's it's concerning if you're the if you have the number one pick, I think you got to take him just because of all the hype. And if he does turn out to be a great quarterback in the NFL, which I think he can be, to be fair. To Trevor Lawrence, I think he can be a very good quarterback. So if the Jets were in the number one position, which I wish they were, I would say they they sort of have to take Trevor Lawrence because if you miss on that pick and pass on him when you had the chance and he turns out to be an all-pro quarterback for decades, you're going to look really foolish. But do I, I think he's an automatic and the answer to all of your problems? Definitely not. Yeah. No, and I completely agree with your take, Matt. I just, my biggest thing is I just hate, and I've said this over and over, no matter how many times, no matter how many busts we see come and go from college to the pros, people still hype these guys up to almost unrealistic expectations. They set themselves up to fail right out of the gate. There's no automatics. There's no guarantees going from college to professional ball. And that's just my my take. I'm not rooting against him. I think that he could also be a good quarterback at the NFL level, but I need to see it. I, I'm not just because he's had success at the college level, just because he does everything right mechanically, just because he 
has the perfect body structure of a quarterback, to me that doesn't that still doesn't make him a guarantee at the professional level because there's been God-gifted, talented players that have come before him. There have been successful college players that have come before him and have failed at that next step. Now, all right, so Matt, now that we have the big matchup set up, of course, there are now reports that the championship game might be postponed due to COVID and all of that. Who do you have winning it all? As good as Ohio State looked this past weekend, I feel like I have to go with Bama. Alabama has consistently shown this year that they're the best team, not even this past year, every single year for the past decade plus, they've always been in the conversation for for being, if not the best team, one of the best teams in college football. And it's very difficult to bet against them. And while I was also expecting Clemson to roll over Ohio State, I think this might be a little bit better game just based on how Ohio State looked last week. But I think in the end, Clemson, uh, sorry, Alabama is going to win by at least a touchdown, probably even more than that. Yeah, Matt, uh, it's one of those where my heart wants Ohio State. I, I mean, I don't, I really don't have too much invested in either of those teams. Both have won it fairly recently. I, I, I think it's going to be Bama. I'm hoping for the upset in Ohio State. But I just, I look at Alabama and I just, they're just so talented on both sides of the ball. And it's kind of crazy how recently, in the recent years, Alabama has gotten so dominant on offense with the quarterback talent that they've had, but also the amount of weapons that they have across the board, both at the wide receiver and running back position. They're just such a complete team, the most complete team in all of college football. I'm going with Alabama, too, here. I'll be rooting for Ohio State, but oh, but Alabama, I say, wins it again. And again... Right. And to, your, to your point, Victor, they have two, two of the Heisman finalists I know. on their offense, and I another know. one, their running back, Najee Harris, was... Also very close to being a finalist and, and arguably could have been. So the fact that they just have an insane amount of talent and a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball as well. Not that Ohio State doesn't, but I think it's just going to be too much. And even I saw reports that Jalen Waddell, who Curtis Angler this year, might potentially come back for that game, which would add to their already explosive offense. Yeah. I just think there's too much talent that I would I'm not going to bet against them. Yeah, and that that's a great point. I mean, two players on the same team, finalists for a Heisman Trophy. That's just... <laughs> you can't do anything but laugh at that, honestly. But, all right, so we... Uh, I'm hoping for a good game, though. When it comes to college football, the most important thing to me is a good team, uh, a good game, especially when I don't really have a dog in the fight. So I'm hoping that Ohio State and Alabama gives us that at the very least let's move on to the nfl matt and 
A lot went down in the final week of the regular season. I think the biggest headline, though, was the Washington football team winning the NFC East following a 20-14 victory over the Eagles. Now, I wouldn't say the biggest headline is the fact that Washington won the game. I would say the bigger headline is that it seemed pretty clear that Doug Peterson played to lose that game for Philadelphia. And a couple of instances that showed that was down 17-14 in the third quarter, Peterson decided to go for it on fourth and goal at the four-yard line of Washington. Now, a lot of people say in that situation, you kick the field goal and you tie up the game. To me, I didn't see that much of a problem with it. I thought that Final game of the year as a fan. I always like when my team goes for it on fourth fourth down. Final game of the year, what do you have to lose? Didn't have that much of a problem with that. The bigger, the biggest reason why people felt Peterson coached to lose this game was the fact that he benched Jalen Hurts in favor of the normally third-string quarterback, Nate Subfield, early in the fourth quarter. Now, Nate Subfield was inactive for 14 games this year. He hadn't thrown a pass since 2018. Now, as this was unraveling, as this was going down, people were becoming furious around the league. The Giants players, who won earlier against Dallas Cowboys, hoping for an Eagles victory, because it would eliminate Washington and give them the crown to the NFC East. They displayed their frustration on social media. Seemed like Eagles players on the sidelines were confused, like Jalen Hurts at times being captured, saying it's not right. Center Jason Kelsey asked Peterson why Hurts was being pulled. According to Philadelphia Inquirer's Jeff McLean, two not one, but two defensive players had to be restrained after Peterson's decision to bench Hurts. Even Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels had a problem with what was going on. Take a listen. I've done what Philadelphia did. I, I, I just simply could not have done it. I, I, you've got men out there that are fighting their guts out, trying to win the game, and I'm not saying, not blaming anybody. I, I personally could not have done what they did. Well, I agree under the circumstances. Absolutely. They're getting blown out. Yeah. So, in the end, Washington won 2014. They improved the 7-9 and won the terrible NFC East. While the Eagles dropped to 4-11-1, they moved up three draft picks from 9-6. to six. But Matt, I want to ask you, because there's been a lot of controversy around this game. There's been voice of reason on both sides. It's a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. As a third-party fan, do you have any sort of problem with what the Eagles did at all? So I I think there's quite a bit to unpack here. I do think, honestly, my first reaction to was, what is he doing and why is he doing it? I was more shocked at anything. Whether he was 
blatantly tanking or not. I know he claims he was playing to win the game. That's obviously not exactly what he has shown. I just don't understand why he would make the move if he didn't want to lose the game. It, it was just sort of baffling to me. And I know there was a ton of Giants fans, I'm sure yourself included, who are extremely upset with the decision. I I really don't feel bad for the Giants at all. I mean, at 6-10, and 10, the fact that you're upset about not making the playoffs, I, I get it. But at the same time, the Giants could have done quite a few other things to get into the playoffs, and they just didn't handle their own business. But if you're the Eagles... Sure, you moved up three picks by losing. Great. It's the NFL, it's virtually impossible to tank just because guys are going to go out there and give it their all every single week because a lot of times they're not guaranteed money. They need to play for next season. So people are not going to just tank. Like you, you can see tanking in other sports like the NBA, it's, it's a little bit easier. But the NFL, guys are going out there every single day and giving it their all. Sometimes you got teams like the Jets who don't even have to try. They just are so <laughs> deprived of talent that they're going to lose a ton of games. But when you have, when you blatantly take out Jalen Hurts and put in Nate Studfield, no disrespect to Nate Studfield, but how can you tell me if you're Doug Peterson that you thought that gave you the best chance to win the game? It's just, it blows my mind that he can even claim that that was the case. And, and it's even more crazy. So if, if Doug Peterson, at least would acknowledge. Obviously, you probably wouldn't even do it publicly, but if you want to move to the nine to the six pick, in theory, that gives you a slightly better chance of getting a, a better player. You're still going to get a good player regardless. But if he has been on the hot seat for a lot of this year. There's no guarantee that he's... It sounds like he's probably coming back, but it's not like it's guaranteed. He's not necessarily the coach for their future. So I don't know why he would be the one to make that decision. It's just very fishy to me. I, I don't know who was behind. It seems like he was the main person behind the decision. I don't know if they were getting some something from higher up to make that decision. But taking on someone who looks to be potentially the future of your franchise for Nate Sudfield in it wasn't a meeting it was a meaningless game in the sense that yes they weren't gonna make the playoffs and were already eliminated. But it's still a divisional game. And if you want to say, oh, they hate the Giants more than the Redskins, they're both divisional rivals. And you could have prevented the Redskins, sorry, the football team, from <laughs> get, from getting into the playoffs. So the fact that they seemingly just threw out Nate Sudfield instead of Jalen Hurts, it's just crazy to me. And he was clear, visibly upset on the sidelines as well, as you could clearly tell. So... I just don't understand. I would have been even more okay with it if they had played Sudfield from the start and just said, oh, this game doesn't mean anything. Jalen Hurts is our guy. We want to rest him. But the fact that in the fourth quarter, in a competitive game, that's when all of a sudden they wanted to see Nate Sudfield in action. I mean, what do you, you have Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts on the roster. What do you mean you're giving Sudfield reps? You want to see what he can do? I think that's ridiculous. So like, go in with with a mindset that you're going to give this guy some, some meaningful snaps, meaningful action. Don't make that decision in the fourth quarter. I, I think that's what I had the biggest problem with. 
Yeah, Matt, I'm actually, I'm, uh, I'm on, I agree with you on a lot of things, and I'm going to try to go backwards from where you went. So, first off, yeah, don't, don't give me this, you wanted to give subfield reps when I just said that he's been on the team for the last four years, his last snap taken was in 2018 he was inactive for 14 of the 16 games this year don't give me that that you wanted to give him snaps now I will say to Peterson's defense that he did talk about getting him some snaps the day prior however it was stated if the Eagles were struggling now yes I'll be honest with you Matt I was coming off a fight so I wasn't able to to watch most of the game. So when I got off the flight and was able to connect to internet, I looked up the game immediately and I saw 20 to 14 Washington and I saw Jalen Hurts 7 of 20, 72 yards and an interception. And I'm like, oh, he's really struggling. That's why they benched him. It wasn't until I looked on social media to see, right? But he said that he would give subfield snaps if the Eagles were struggling as a team. They were only down one possession when they took him out. They were only down three points when they benched Hurts. So that's not good enough to me, right? Another point you brought up, and I, I'm going a little different route. It was a very bad year for the Eagles, Matt. A lot of people pointed the blame to Doug Peterson. They felt that he didn't do enough while Wentz was in there, and he sort of made him the scapegoat, right? Then, as the season went on, it seemed like more and more like Peterson's job was safe, and it all but is, right? But I'm sorry, after two straight disappointing years and a year where you are the worst team in the worst division of all of football. Your job was already in question. Who the hell do you think you are to just say, oh, this game doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I don't need another win under my belt. I don't need to do the right thing. I'm so confident. I, I know I'm going to be back that this game means absolutely nothing. I'm going to worry about getting a higher draft pick. To me, that is an egotistical, that is a coward move. And you know what's even more coward about Peterson's move? Is the fact that it was done with no fans in the stadium. Because you know that he would not have the you-know-what to pull that off with Philadelphia fans at Lincoln Field. Okay, If fans were at that stadium... He would not have left that game in one piece. I can promise you that. I'm actually not, believe it or not, I wasn't upset as a Giants fan, okay? Because, like you said, Matt, they had so many opportunities. I loved what Joe Judge came out and said without actually even naming the Eagles, and that's why I started off the show with a part of his soundbite on what the Eagles did. But to me, the Giants don't really have much of a fight when you finish the year 6-10. and 10. Your division was so bad and you were part of the problem that 
fans, people across the league argued that the playoff format, the playoff structure should be reconstructed because of how bad you and your entire division are. So I don't want to hear them feeling that they felt robbed by the Eagles' decision. First off, it's the Eagles, right? They're a division rival. I was never expecting any favors from them, right? The Giants, whether it was the Bears game early in the year, whether it was the Eagles or Cowboys the first time around, the last four games of the season where they controlled their own destiny, Joe Judge deciding to play Jones when he clearly wasn't healthy against the Cardinals. So many opportunities to control their own destiny. They didn't get the job done. I wasn't upset. I was upset that they didn't make the playoffs, but I wasn't living at the Eagles for doing what they did as a Giants fan. I was more livid because I looked at it as a fan perspective. If my team that did that in a disappointing year, you're going to cap it off. I get to watch you on Sunday night. You have a chance to prevent one of your division rivals from winning the division. And I get it. It may not be the same magnitude as a Giants or Cowboys hatred, right? But you still have an opportunity. You're really going to let Washington celebrate on your home field, on your home turf. I if the Giants and that and, and Matt, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I know that my team was in it, even even though it was such a joke. My team was in it till the final week, but in years past, I watch up to week seventeen, and I want my team to give it my all. I invest time into it. What the Eagles did in my opinion, was a slap in the face to their fans and a slap in the face to the league. Because remember, that game was flexed to prime time because it meant so much, and the Eagles took away some of that. I'm not blaming Washington at all. They did what they did. They barely got it done, but they won the game. It wasn't their fault the Eagles benched their starters, right? It wasn't their fault that the Eagles played to lose that game. I just, from a fan perspective, from the game of football, I had a big problem with what the Eagles did. Not as a Giants fan, because again, you can never let another team control your destiny. But that was a coward, disgraceful move by Peterson, in my opinion. I also think it's funny how how people were praising him for playing for a tie earlier in the year when everyone thought that that was going to be the reason that they win the division. And not only, like, in the moment, I thought it was a terrible decision by him to effectively play for the tie. And and now that he's just continuing to show in his decisions that uh, maybe, maybe he's not the guy, the same guy who beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Maybe he's not the Doug Peterson that has all this confidence and swagger. I, I just don't know what, what to think about Doug Peterson and his future with the Eagles. I'm, I'm telling you, Matt, he had a meeting with ownership today. I, I, I think he had to do some serious explaining to keep his job if he kept his job because – I'm I'm sorry, but that was a terrible look for the Philadelphia franchise. Matt, you had Miles Sanders coming out today 
and saying that I don't know whose idea, I don't know whose call it was, but it was head-scratching to a lot of us on the sidelines. Matt, he has guys that needed to be restrained from him, his own players, because of his decision. How can you continue to be the head football coach of a team when you just let them down like that? Honestly, it really turns the players on the coach when something like like that is done. From my own football experience, we had a, a similar situation, in, except it was the total opposite. It was a very meaningful game, and our coach decided to make a statement and rest our normal starting quarterback because he had a, a prior commitment that he couldn't miss. So he was supposed to show, get there as soon as he could and then come in and play. Our coach didn't play him and instead played someone who had zero experience in the past, and we effectively got blown out. Not directly because of that, but it certainly didn't help. So as a player, I know everyone was was really heated about that, and I can imagine that's exactly what the Eagles are feeling. When you're going out there and giving it your all and your coach is basically shooting yourself in the foot, it's just extremely frustrating, and he's – been always known as a player's coach. So to do something like this, I really think that a lot of the players are going to turn on him. And a lot of them already have publicly. So I think next year is going to be very interesting and they didn't do great at all this year. So I don't, I don't know what the Eagles, the player's coach rep is, is going to necessarily follow him around much longer unless he, apologize to that team and really make them ends with them because he really hung them out to dry and the players were clearly pissed about it. Yeah, no, I know. And I mean, I just, just crazy. Like such a disappointing year. You have a chance to upset one of your division foes, prevent them from winning the division. You haven't given much to your fans to cheer about, to give some sort of joy, and you just fold it in the last quarter of the last week of the regular season, treating it like it was week four of the preseason. I mean, come on. And and here's another thing, man. I mean, Jalen Hurts, listen, he had some good, he had some bad. I don't think he's a lock to be their starting quarterback. Don't you think that leaving him in and showing that he could come back in the fourth quarter against one of your divisional foes would have done wonders to him and his progress if he is your starting quarterback? No, I think they think Nate Southfield is the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, (laughs) yep, yep. Quarterback competition 2021 hurts versus Southfield. But, all right, yeah, I just, I mean, listen, I uh, I don't know if you were expecting me to go on uh, rant about why I was disappointed as a Giants fan, but, no, I, I really think that the Giants did it to themselves, and, again, I wasn't looking for Philly to do us any favor, but I just thought that Peterson would have more pride for his football team, but I guess I'm wrong. I guess I'm wrong. But, Matt, let's shift gears to your team, and... The nightmare is finally over. Adam Gase was let go by your New York Jets after two seasons as their head coach. 
he posted a nine and twenty-three overall record in his two years, two and fourteen this past season. During his time, it was definitely a bumpy road. He didn't help Sam Darnold improve and take that next step. Everyone thought he would be able to do so. New York ranked dead last in total offense both seasons with Gase at the helm. He had too big of an eagle to hand over play-calling duties. He had issues with players like Le'Veon Bell, like Jamal Adams, both now gone from the team. They were let go before Gase was, if you can believe that. And he did not get along with coaches all the time, like Greg Williams. Matt, how happy are you that Gase, the bad man, is now gone? Oh, man, it's relieving. I feel like I'm free. This, <laughs> really, I know, granted I'm a little biased, but I feel like I cannot name a worse, maybe you, Jackson, but I cannot name a worse head coach in the NFL for as long as I can remember. I mean, he is god-awful. I'm so happy he's gone. I was nervous. Fine, they kept him for the whole year. I have no issue with that. He's clearly better for tanking because he's such a bad offensive guru. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm glad he's done. I don't expect him to get a job anywhere anytime soon, but you never know if the NFL, one of his buddies might come come calling. And the fact that he even got the Jets job, I didn't like the hire from day one. Two years later, everything that could have gone wrong did. He was awful. I'm so happy he's gone. We have a fresh start. I just really, really need the Jets to get someone that's going to be consistently there. Get someone that's going to be there for the next decade, please. I, I there's been so much turnover of coaches the past few years. I can't take it anymore. I'm glad we are at a case, but Christopher Johnson has a tendency to, to make a lot of wrong decisions. I'm nervous that they're going to do something similar and take it someone for the head coach that is not Adam Gase because they can't possibly be that bad. But I'm nervous that he's going to make another questionable decision like hiring Adam Gase. So, Matt, I agree with you too that I never liked or understood the hire of Adam Gase a couple years back. I didn't think that he showed anything in Miami during his time with Miami to deserve a second opportunity, let alone one right away. But, you know, people, it, it, it's it's a joke, but it's real. Gase only got the Miami job, only got the Jets job because he was the offensive coordinator in Denver when Payne Manning was his quarterback. And he has a great reference right there, obviously, but it goes to show you what a guy like Ben Manning can get for someone like Adam Gase because that man should not have another job in football unless he's given another Hall of Fame type player like Peyton Manning. But Adam Adam Gase is like a guy that just copies everything that someone else does and just keeps getting promoted somehow and everyone else around him is doing all the work. And Clearly, Peyton Manning was the reason that 
that Broncos offense was what it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, They clearly. somehow stumbled upon the head coaching role in Miami. The fact that people are still calling him an offensive genius because he was with Peyton Manning a few years ago, it's insane to me. I mean, he is just going to ride that till the day he dies. And, and good for him. I mean, he's made a ton of money for effectively lucking into a good situation. But anyone that would hire him now, it, it would baffle me. But you yeah. never know because, oh, he had won a great year with Peyton Manning, even though Peyton Manning ran the entire offense. It's, it's ridiculous. Going back to college real quick, you know where he's rumored to be interested? What position he's rumored to be uh, coveted for, Matt? Where? Alabama offense coordinator because Steve Sarkisian is now the Texas head coach. Uh, Nick Saban was looking at him uh, to fill that role. I mean, good luck to serious. him. Good luck to him. That might end uh, Alabama's dynasty, honestly. <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. I mean, I'm not Adam Gase over there to be a little mole and destroy the Alabama dynasty. It's a little sugar coating on top of him being out of my life. Yeah, but no, and and Matt, I, I think the biggest problem is that he didn't help. He was supposed to be like a quarterback whisperer, and he did not help Sam Darnold whatsoever. You can make the argument that he's regressed these last two years. And you saw it in Miami. He didn't help some players reach their maximum potential. I mean, just look at Tannehill. So there has to be some hope on that line when it comes to Darnold and now being set free from Gase if you do decide to continue with Darnold moving forward. Honestly, Matt, I, I I need to see this move happen to believe it because there was always a small part of me that was like, if they get the number one pick, right, or even top two pick and they just go all in with the fresh new quarterback, there was a part of me that was like, they might give Gase one more opportunity to get it right, but... I think this was the only move. I think this was the right move. And I think that what you said, they need to pick the the right guy this time around. And I think that Joe Douglas, I'm very high on Joe Douglas. I am. And I think that he needs to be the one and only man in charge of finding the next head coach for this team. And we'll get into some names in just a little bit. But I, I think Joe Douglas needs to be making the football moves, handling the football operations for the New York Jets. The Johnsons cannot get involved, and they need to let Joe Douglas do his job. I totally, I 100% agree with that. The issue is, since they are the Johnsons, I mean, you know they're probably I know. I their know. say, which is just so frustrating, and why... Us Jets fans are miserable all the time. Yeah, but all right. So Matt, let's uh, let's get into it then, because I wanted to ask you, who do you think they should and will go after for the head coaching vacancy? Yeah. So I mean, I've already seen that they have some interviews scheduled with with some of the top guys, like Eric Bieniemy from. 
the Chiefs. I think they're doing the right things by scheduling some of these interviews. Honestly, if you had asked me last year, do I want the enemy? Yeah, I would. But I, I sort of I'm having second thoughts a little bit just because I think Andy Reid calls all the shots in that offense. It, could he be a great head coach? Sure, he'd be another part of the Andy Reid tree, which has a lot of a lot of great coaches throughout the yep. NFL. But I just don't know if he's really the one behind all the decisions. But what I will say is, I think they need to go the offensive-minded route. And I don't mean your Adam Gase offensive-minded. I mean a true offensive-minded coach that is going to help your offense. They can't possibly be any worse. So we, I really want them to get an offensive-minded coach. I know a lot of times, though, when you fire a coach, you go the exact opposite direction, like, they hired Todd Bowles once he was gone. So Todd Bowles, a defensive coach, once they got rid of him, hired allegedly offensive mind in Adam Gase. Now that he's gone, I'm worried that they're going to go back to a defensive coach, which to me would make no sense because they have, like you said, they have the worst offense in the league. And last year, I think they were like 31st. So it's they really need an offensive-minded coach. Who Who is that? I don't really, to be totally honest. I think the enemy would be cool. I mean, other names like Arthur Smith, he could be a good coach, but I just really don't know. I'm, I'm nervous because if you told me last year who, who were the best head coaches, like I would have liked having Matt Rule. I would, I would. There was a few guys that I, I was like, I, I would have liked to have them, but this year, I, I honestly don't know. So, which makes it even harder because as a fan, I don't know which hire I will be extremely happy about. And I'll be optimistic, but I'm, I have reservations about pretty much all the all the guys out there, to be totally honest with you. Now, Matt, let me ask you something. Are you in on, the, on taking a chance on the college football head coach? Like one of the top tier ones like a Lincoln Riley? Because he's been rumored around – moving on to the NFL for a couple of years now. And I even remember seeing some reports that the Jets might take a look at him once the season comes to an end. Do you think someone like an Urban Meyer, who is apparently demanding $12 million from the Jaguars to become their next head coach, are you on that train at all, or would you prefer someone with NFL experience? I would definitely take someone – at the college level, I would absolutely love to have Lincoln Riley. That would be incredible. I don't think he's leaving Oklahoma, though. He's been rumored to be a head coaching candidate in the NFL for quite a bit. Yeah. And that hasn't happened. Would would I have them take a chance on, on someone like Urban Meyer or even Har- Jim Harbaugh? I, I would be totally content with that. What I don't want them to do is – I saw somewhere that – Marvin Lewis was a candidate. Oh my god! Oh and my god! I, I, I mean, I just please. What I don't want them to do, you try this having a coach that coached a divisional rival, didn't do anything, and then came to the Jets. What did you expect? He didn't do anything. If they get someone like that, who's basically a retread, I'm going to be not happy at all. So. If they take some offensive coordinator who 
hasn't really had an opportunity as a head coach, I'd be more happy with that. But take a chance on the college guy. What do you have to lose? I'd be very content with with a college guy. I'm just done with these retreads. What I am worried about, though, it, with taking a college coach, aside from, from maybe Harbo, I think if you take a guy like Lincoln Riley, I don't know how else they would fill out their staff. Would some other folks from Oklahoma come with him? I don't know. I think the Oklahoma situation is, is pretty good. They probably wouldn't want to leave. I think that's the biggest thing is you see all these good teams have really good staffs every year. I mean, look at a team like the Patriots. They have some consistency. And even when they lose guys to other head coaching jobs, yes, they have consistency at the top, but they also continue to have a good staff around because everyone wants to be around these good coaches. So I think finding a coach that can build out a staff is going to be essential. And for that reason, that would sort of lend itself to having, if you have a, a disciple of Andy Reid, like, like the Chiefs that I see right now, the enemy, that maybe he could build a potential solid stuff. I, I also really like, I know he's a defensive minded guy, so kind of going against everything I said, but from Robert Sala of the 49ers, I wouldn't be that upset. If they did go with a defensive guy, I wouldn't be upset if they went with him. I think he just has a ton of energy and would really provide a spark. He's a, he's a young guy. I sort of see him similar to a, a Mike Vrabel type of, type of coach, which I would be more than happy with. So I think that's another guy that I would absolutely love to have. But we'll see. It's gonna be very interesting. No, yeah, Matt, I actually I so I I think you're putting a little too emphasis on offensive defensive matter coach because I mean listen, yes, you do get guys like an Andy Reid who definitely has a lot of influence over the offense. But I I think that as long as you have also solid confident, smart-minded coordinators, you can get away with an offensive-minded coach and still have a good defense if you bring in the right defense coordinator, if you bring in the right pieces like that. I think that's possible. But I, I, I do understand what you mean, though. I'm, you know why I'm a little nervous about Eric being near me? One, Andy Reid, right? Definitely has a say over the offense. Definitely a lot of input on the offensive side of the ball. But look at the talent he has to work with, Matt. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Le'Veon Bell now. I mean, this man was given... He's a kid and he was given the toy store, store, basically. You know, and listen, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a creative playbook and all that. But it's like he has the best tools to work with. So that's my concern. I, you do make a great point in the Andy Reid coaching tree, whether it was John Harbaugh, Doug Peterson. I'm just a little nervous because that Chiefs team is so talented offensively that I just, I just don't know who's more of the reason behind that for their offensive success, the coordinator or the players on the field. That's that's why I would be a little nervous on being Nimi. I I love 
this coach, and I think he deserves a second chance at the NFL level. His first time around, his first time around, three NFC championships in four years. Things haven't gone perfectly in Michigan, even though I saw that he and Michigan were close to an extension through 2026. Jim Harbaugh, I would absolutely, if, I, I said it when the Giants let Coughlin go. I said it when McAdoo was fired. I said it when Shermer was fired. Hand Jim Harbaugh a check and let him be my next head coach. I think the man knows how to win at the NFL level. Yes, I know he has yet to win the Super Bowl, but man, four years, his first four years as an NFL head coach, three championship game appearances, one championship win, one Super Bowl appearance. I think he needs to be back in the NFL sooner than later. Guys I like- would absolutely take him. And, and he's really the only, if you look at all the coaching candidates out there, he's really the only one that checks the boxes out of, have they been an NFL head coach in the past? And two, more importantly, have they shown success at the head coaching level in the NFL? Exactly. exactly. And, and he has both of those. I would love to have him. He's probably my top choice. Uh, if if he does wind up leaving Michigan, which I think there's a chance he does, given their their questionable play in the past few years. But at the same time, it's not necessarily because he's been a bad coach. It's more that they've just been totally out-recruited by a lot of the better schools like Ohio State. I would totally take Jim Harbaugh and, and think, he totally deserves a chance in the NFL again. And if he's the head coach of the Jets next year, I would be thrilled. No, no and, I, and I agree, Matt. And here's the thing. They brought in Harbaugh to get them on the same playing field as an Ohio State, as an Alabama. It hasn't exactly worked out that way. But listen, I don't think... That's all Harbaugh's fault. I still think that schools, top-tier programs like Alabama, give them more of a chance, more of an opportunity in what they want to get done. So I do not blame Harbaugh for that at all. And I think that he definitely deserves a second chance in the NFL with how much success he had the first time around. Now, Matt, opposite to what what I said about Benimi and why I also would love... Robert Sala to get an opportunity is you look at what he's done with that 49ers defense and he's made them a lot better and yes when healthy they're completely stacked but look at the job he was able to do with them this year with a couple of big injuries that goes to show you how good of a coach he really is and like you said Matt I think it was a good comparison to Mike Vrabel he's young he's a passionate fiery guy he's an exciting guy to watch on the sidelines I would love to see him get an opportunity as a head coach and then Matt my final one and I think that the Chargers will be regretting this because I think it only sets them back that much more Anthony Lynn Anthony Lynn four years as the Chargers head coach finished with a winning record Matt the Chargers could have easily folded it in this year after that disastrous loss to the New England Patriots. 
They won their last three games. They finished 7-9. Yes, they could have been a lot better. Yes, there were some games they should have won. Remember, though, they had injuries on both sides of the ball. Rookie quarterback starting from, what, week two on? I think that the Chargers should have given him one more year to put it all together, to give him a full shot. And I think that they will really regret that. I think he's a good coach. I think he's liked by his players. And I think that he will be hired this offseason. I had one question for you off of that. Did you watch the last few games of of the season, the Chargers game specifically? Uh, Well, I I mean, they won. Talking about some of the games that they lost, because there are a couple of games where you could point directly at Anthony Lynn and his decision-making that led to those losses. Yeah, I I know. I know. It's just... I agree with you. Has he looked like a good coach for the past couple of years? Yes, and the Chargers have had success. And they they lost a couple of games this year that they also could have won, and their record could have been a little bit better. But when you're making these mistakes that... Yeah, I'm sitting on my couch watching the game, but there just is no reason that you should be making these calls. I mean, he he ran the ball at the end of the game. I know. One of the weeks. When there was, I know. What, 12? I mean, you just can't do that kind of stuff. I know. It's, it's crazy to me that these coaches just lack the common sense to do things that everyone else sees and just wonders what they could possibly be thinking. So, yes, I think Anthony Lynn has shown that he could have success, but I've seen enough mistakes from him late in the year that I want nothing to do with him. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was a good point. That was a good point. I just, you know, I, I was just really rooting for him because he actually has a pretty cool backstory and... I do think that the Chargers, if healthy, they could be a serious threat in the AFC. I don't know about the AFC West winning that division just because the Chiefs are in that division as well. But they could definitely be a wild card team and make some noise. And I think that their future is so bright. And, I mean, bringing in a whole new regime after I think that there were some bright spots with this young rookie quarterback, I would have liked to seen Anthony Lynn given one more chance. But yeah, I think he might get another chance elsewhere. We'll see, though. But I really think some of those blunders are, are inexcusable. And if you want to be a head head coach at the NFL level, you just cannot be making. Yeah. Now, those. Matt, let's get back to the Jets. So obviously, the Jets aren't the only open position right now. But tell me why they are a coveted job. Tell me how they stack up to other openings like the Chargers, like the Jaguars, like the Texans, the Lions, the Falcons, the Texans. I I think one thing that the Jets do have, they have some draft capital. They have the number two pick this year. I mean, they they have the Seahawks pick, too, because of the Jamal Adams trade. I mean, they have quite a bit of draft capital that they've accumulated from a variety of, of trades. And 
granted, they've shown that in at least their previous regimes drew, did not draft well. I know you love Joe, Joe Douglas. I think he's done done a decent job of drafting so far. Haven't quite seen enough, but but I definitely think that he has enough draft capital now to really do some damage. So I think that in itself is is great. What I will say, and I'm and I'm worried about, is I don't think that they're necessarily the most attractive job just because if you look at their roster they don't have a ton of talent on their roster i mean they have a couple couple good good young players on defense i think marcus may is in the league to stay i think he's a very good player on offense Quentin williams had a nice a nice he, uh, he did he, he looked rough south. in his rookie year i think yeah. he's starting to find his way and then he got injured towards the end of the year but he, he's looked nice CJ mostly opted out this year. He, he'll he'll come back. The offense, Mims looks like a player. They don't have Frank Gore is not not the long term answer. They don't have a ton of talent on offense. It, it's just I think it really comes down to if a coach looks at Darnold and thinks he clearly has the tools and physical capabilities of being an NFL quarterback. So if a coach comes in and, and can, thinks that they can work with him, I think it's a phenomenal job because then you starting with Sam Darnold and you have the number two pick to do whatever you want. You could trade back, get a nice little bundle. You, you can or draft the, the best player available effectively at number two, assuming the Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence. But that being said, Sam Darnold has not exactly shown. I, I, I know I, I would blame a lot of it on Adam Gase and coaching regimes. But Sam Darnold continues to make mistakes that he made rookie year. So if you're moving on and having a totally new pick at quarterback, that's another thing. Like if a head coach wants to pick their guy at quarterback, aside from Trevor Lawrence, you're, you're going to get a pick of the litter of guys that you want to have. So I think that's something that does make the job attractive. But if you're in a situation like the Chargers, like the Texans, they have their guys. They have Deshaun Watson. They have Justin Herbert, who looks like he's going to be a nice nice player for years to come. I think those jobs are extremely attractive. Like you said, the Chargers have a ton of talent. I mean, I might just go out of limb on set and say the Chargers is probably the most attractive job for me. Who wouldn't want to go go out to L.A., have a great, quarter, a great quarterback in the making, it looks like, and they have some – some good solid players on both sides of the ball. The Texans also, I mean, Deshaun is clearly the best quarterback by a mile on the teams that need a head coach. I think talent wise, Bill O'Brien screwed them a little bit. They don't really have draft capital. They have some, some solid players on both sides of the ball, but I don't think they're JJ Watts, not getting any younger. I think the chargers might be the most attractive job to be totally honest with you. And the Jets has its pros and cons, but I mean, going in, if you're going in with Justin Herbert as your guy who looks like he's a franchise quarterback and they, they're a talented team on both sides of the ball. So I, I mean, that, that sounds like a great job as much as I want to say the Jets are the most attractive job. If I was the head coach, I would go to the chargers in a heartbeat over the Jets. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, looking at the other teams, I, I would agree that the Chargers is 
the best job out there in terms of talent-wise and in terms of up-and-coming quarterback. It seems like at least he's definitely a Rookie of the Year finalist, and hopefully he can only improve his game with each season moving forward. Texans, Matt, listen, Sean Watson had an MVP caliber type year where his team won four games, right? So unnoticed. And look at the guys he was working with. No, He led led the league in passing. Yep. No Hopkins, right? Fuller gets suspended in the final six games, okay? Brandon Cooks was thought as an afterthought, okay? For Deshaun Watson to do that behind a porous offensive line, no running game whatsoever, I mean, just incredible. But the thing I will say is not much talent on that roster, and they don't have early draft picks um, this year. So that really hurts them, in my opinion. Jaguars, listen, the Jaguars should be the most attractive because of A, the number one overall draft pick, and B, 100 plus million in cap space, but it's still a Jaguars. And it's one of those things that until they prove me otherwise, I'm still going to look at them as a poverty franchise where nothing can go right. I also think Doug Marone is another good coach on, um, on the market now, Matt. I think he got screwed by a team that made the mistake committing to Blake Bortles long-term. That just led to their demise. That led to their collapse. They started to trade away their defensive stars. Leonard Fournette was released. It just, it that AFC Championship was their peak, and everything came to a halting crash. And Doug Marone, I think, could still be a good head coach in this league. The, I said, the Chargers, Falcons, uh, the Chargers, Texans, and Jaguars. Falcons, Falcons are interesting. I think that they're going to be blowing things up this offseason. I think Julio Jones will be traded, and I think there's a very good shot at Ryan will be traded as well. Max constantly says that he could be reunited with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco if they decide to drop Garoppolo, wouldn't be terribly surprised at that. And then the Detroit Lions, I also think that's another quarterback that will be on the move with a new head coach in place. I think Matt Stafford will be traded to another team this offseason. So, you know, those two are eh. I think the Jets are right in the middle. And then I'll put the Texans right ahead of them because of Deshaun Watson, and then Chargers at number one. But, Matt, what do you think the Jets should do now that they have the number two overall draft pick? Because to me, I've been saying for a while, I really think that the argument could be made ever since Sam Darnold has been in the league. It's not even Adam... I don't even think Adam Gase has been the biggest problem for Sam Darnold. I think the fact that his talent around him, you can make the argument, has decreased each year that he's been in the league. I mean, Matt, Jameson Crowder is your number one receiver this past year. That's a joke. Frank Gore, your leading rusher, right? I mean, they lost Robbie Anderson last year. Le'Veon Bell gazed in no favors with. It was tough for him. It was tough for him. And like you said, Matt, I think Douglas 
listen, after one draft, too tough to tell. Mechai Becton looks like to be the real deal. Everyone, A good amount of that draft class was injured like Mims, so you didn't really get to see a big sample size. I, I think that the Jets could and should build around Darnold. I think whether it's they draft a guy they really like at number two, I personally would trade down, get more draft capital. You saw Douglas be very active with that last draft. Obviously, he did his magic with the Jamal Adams trade. I think that they should trade down and build around Sam Darnold. Give him pieces. Give him talent to work with. That's my ideal scenario as well. I think Justin Fields, I don't think he's going to translate to the NFL level. He's a super talented guy. But honestly, even take Fields out of the equation, regardless of who it is, even if they had the number one pick and had Trevor Lawrence, and whoever the best quarterback in this draft class going on to the Jets, they're still going to be a bad team next year. They have, like you said, very little talent around Sam Darnold. Trading back and stockpiling as many draft picks as possible to get more talent around Sam Darnold, that is my ideal scenario. And even if they had a number one pick, I would be totally fine with them trading back for a nice little bundle. And I think there will be teams that want Justin Fields enough to give the Jets a package that Joe Douglas probably won't say no to. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I even remember, I, I, I want to say it was Colin Coward. And at the time, the Jets held the number one draft pick. And it was like, the Jets right now could get three first-round draft picks and three second-rounders, right? And I was like, if I'm the Jets, I'm making that deal as soon as I answer the telephone. Because to me, it doesn't make sense. I mean, imagine how many holes you could address with those draft picks and how much talent you can build around Sam Darnold, who really hasn't been given a fair chance, a fair opportunity to work with much since entering the league. Right. I think the only counterpoint to that would be if you get a bunch of talent around Sam Darnold, assume that they get a good coach, which is obviously a big assumption, but if Sam Darnold does have everything around him and it's a better situation in these next couple of years, and it turns out that he's not the guy, then what? Then are they just going to be a middle-of-the-pack team who had a shot at a quarterback, say Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, who the Jets passed on, turned out, turned out to be NFL studs? I think it's going to come back down to the Jets, which is which is the only counterpoint, which is well, why when you're in situations like this, teams do take quarterbacks. But I agree with you. I, I want them. Their talent is so bad. Get some playmakers. Get some guys that we can root for on Sundays. Well, and also, Matt, I mean, a couple things. A, first off, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? So, you know, you got to wait and see. But here's the thing, too, Matt. It's not like... Franchise quarterbacks only come with a top five draft pick, right? Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Tom Brady. Look at Dak Prescott, right? Those are guys found later in the draft that can still be a franchise quarterback. 
the Jets, let's say that they fill other holes, right? And their one missing piece is a quarterback. I'd rather bring in the quarterback that, let's say, let's say you get m- middle of the first round, late first round, right? If he's surrounded with talent, I think that bodes well for his opportunity for success. I think that puts him in a better position than a lot of quarterbacks entering the league. And I'm not saying that it's not good for quarterbacks to learn to play at the NFL level with a lack of talent around them, but it's a lot easier with talent and a lot easier with good players around them. And it makes their job that much easier. It makes their task of learning the game that much simpler. Right, I totally agree. And and when they took Sam Darnold a few years back at number three overall, I really I was incredibly happy. I mean, I thought he was going to be the, the Jets' savior. It hasn't entirely panned out the way that I would like it to, but I don't think it's all Sam's fault. Yeah, no, I re- I I will agree that he makes some boneheaded, you know, rookie type mistakes at times, but. And again, it's one of those tricky situa- situations entering year four. Has he shown you enough to make you believe he's the guy? Do you continue to try to build around this guy? And I, listen, I think you do just because I don't think that – I think he's been given less to work with as the years have gone on. I mean, listen, Matt, I really think that – whether it's with the Jets or Browns, if you gave Darnold as much help as Baker's gotten in Cleveland, he'd be a much better quarterback. If you if you had Sean McVay holding Darnold's hand like he does with Jared Goff, I think Darnold would be a much better quarterback. I just think that Darnold is one of those quarterbacks that has gotten little to no help compared to quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield who entered the same year as him but nowhere near the same talent around him as Baker has yeah he he, he definitely has not gotten any favors from either the coaching staff or the talent around him so so it would be nice for I mean even look at look at Josh Allen Matt same draft look at what the Bills did to build around him Right. I mean, once you get your quarterback, you should be building around him and, and helping him out in any way you can, as opposed to what the Jets have been doing is seemingly tearing him down. Every You look at guys like Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson, all the good players around him, they get rid of for now, whether it's because of the head coach or not. I mean, the coaching staff is off was awful because of Adam Gaze, but they didn't put any pieces around him. I like Becton. There's He's clearly going to be a good, good player for for years to come, I hope. But, I mean, Darnold has no help. Like, give him some help. Build around him, please. I mean, it's just, he, he really needs some help before you can really say he's not an NFL quarterback. Because I still think he has the potential to be a, a franchise quarterback. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's move on and take one last look back at the 2020 regular season. Matt, a lot transpired this odd, tricky COVID 
regular season, but what was your biggest surprise from the season? Honestly, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is seeing how good the Bills have looked this year. They, a lot of people had them winning the division at the start of the year. I also thought that they were going to be a very solid team, but they've been dominant. They have looked, Josh Allen has taken leaps. The Stefan Diggs deal wound up working wonders for them. I think that was a pretty even deal for both sides, but I mean, the Bills have looked awesome. I, if I'm the Chiefs, I would definitely be worried about the Bills. I, I am, if you told me at the start of the season, the Bills would be the number two seed in the AFC and have a potential chance to take down the Chiefs in the AFC championship, if that is the matchup, I wouldn't have believed you. I think they've looked incredible, and I was not expecting that at the beginning of the year. Hey, you know what's so funny, Matt? You stole basically what was mine, but mine was my biggest surprise was how even, how much of a win-win trade that Stefan Diggs trade was for the Bills and Vikings because I'll be honest. Never see that. I'll I'll be honest with you. I I thought the Bills were crazy for giving up a first round draft pick for Stefan Diggs because I always viewed Diggs as a good receiver. I didn't think he was gonna have as much of an impact as he did with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, he really allowed Josh Allen. I mean, coming into the season. Matt, all I heard was how Josh Allen and Saquon Barkley had the same amount of rushing touchdowns in the two years they've entered the league. With Diggs, he really became a much better quarterback passing-wise, and Diggs really upped his game as well. He led the league in receiving yards. I didn't think he was capable of, of that. And then you look at the Vikings, you think, oh, man, they're going to lose their 1A, 1B wide receiver and take a hit from that. But they drafted a stud. And my favorite to win Rookie of the Year, Justin Jefferson, who's broken two Randy Moss rookie records, broken 18-year rookie record. Uh, rookie yards record set by Anquan Bolden. He just, he really exploded into the scene. And I love to watch his route running days after the game. It's it's really like a masterpiece. But yeah, that's my biggest surprise. I can't believe, I remember seeing that trade and immediately thinking, oh, the Vikings won that. They, they were able to get a first round draft pick for Stefan Diggs and the Texans weren't able to get one for DeAndre Hopkins. Now, of course, we know that's Bill O'Brien's fault, clearly, but I cannot believe the impact that Diggs had on Allen and the Bills. And then I cannot believe how well Jefferson, how great of a pick Jefferson was for the Vikings. And, I, you know, to just... You know, give Josh Allen a lot more credit. Never thought he would be playing at MVP type level ball all season long either. I really thought he was a fraud, and he he proved me wrong. He really did. All right, Matt. Biggest disappointment of this past year. 
Ah, uh, so I think one of one of the disappointments is I, I just it's not necessarily disappointed, but I am just disappointed in the Texans for not surrounding Deshaun Watson with anything. I, I love watching Deshaun Watson, so to, to see him dominate on an individual basis week in and week out and just have nothing to show for besides aside from some individual record such as leading the league in, in passing like he did this year. But it's just extremely disappointing to watch a player like him consistently struggle because of the talent and coaching around him. And I, I just feel, feel bad for him at this point because he has shown that he's an elite quarterback. And the Texans now have the number three overall pick, but they don't because they traded it because Bill O'Brien is the worst GM I've ever seen in my life. But I mean, I just feel so bad for Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, you kind of knew that the Texans were going to be not that great this year, but I also didn't expect them to fall from grace this much. They look, they were in some games here and there, but they didn't look good all season. And I just feel terrible for Deshaun Watson for having to put up with that. No, I agree, Matt. And thank God the Texans signed him to a long-term deal before everything started to go sour because this was a very tough year to watch. I I really like watching Deshaun Watson, too. I think that he's a top-five quarterback in this league, and he even showed that with the lack of help that he has on the offensive side of the ball this past year. And I think that's a good one. They were close to my biggest disappointment, too. Um, And I hope that they're able to figure things out because I'd hate to see a talent like Deshaun Watson be wasted by the Houston Texans. You know, biggest disappointment for me, this one's a little tough just because I'm not disappointed so much because they've had two decades of success of winning football and complete domination in their division and for the most part their conference. But I really thought Bill Belichick and Cam Noon were going to make something happen. And I should have stuck to my guts. I knew Cam Noon was just a bag of banged goods. I I knew that he would never be, he would never get back to his MVP form. And, you know, I thought he was going to come in with a chip on his shoulder. Plus, Bill Belichick wanted to show that he was more, uh, more of the reason for success than Brady was with that Patriots dynasty. And they started off the season promising, and then once COVID hit them, they were never able to get back on track. And now we know Cam Newton has played his final game with the New England Patriots. But I, I really thought that they were they were gonna make it work, and they were going to have success together. And it just didn't work out. And Matt, you know the conversation we just had about top candidates to be hired this offseason. I have not heard Josh McDaniel's name once so far. Matt, offseason after offseason, 
he is always rumored to be a favorite or a potential candidate for a head coaching vacancy. One season without Tom Brady, it's like he's forgotten about. Now, listen, when it comes to Patriots, they also had a lot of players opt out on defense. And I think it's too early to tell. Listen, Tom Brady was was given whatever he wanted in Tampa Bay. He has more talent on that Buccaneers roster than he ever had on any of his Patriot teams. But way too early to say that Tom Brady was more impactful, more crucial to the Patriots' success than Belichick was. So I think Belichick will be back. It's just he needs to get his quarterback back. He just needs to find his next quarterback. And Cam Newton was not that. Yeah, I think it was worth worth the shot for the Patriots to take Cam Newton. I was a, a little surprised to see him struggle so mightily. I, I was at the beginning of the year, I, I thought that he might still have a little bit left in the tank. Clearly, that's not the case. But, I mean, the Patriots are they lost in AFCs for the first time in, in what, 17 years? They'll, they'll be back. Belichick is a mastermind. I have no about, doubt about that. I am not counting them out. Next year, the year after that, or as long as Belichick is at the helm, I think they'll be just okay. They tried an experiment. It failed. Who knows? Maybe this is all part of Belichick's long-term plan of getting a slightly worse draft pick. Maybe that he sees a quarterback that no one else does that they can scoop up in the middle of the first round. So I think Belichick's totally fine, but I totally agree. Cam Newton was extremely disappointing this year. Yeah, and real quick, Matt, before playoffs, Devonta Smith named the Heisman Trophy winner. Wide receiver from Alabama, tied college football record for most touchdowns in a single season, tying Jamar Chase's record of 20. So, good for Devonta Smith, a very talented receiver. I think that he will be the first or second wide receiver off the board in this upcoming NFL draft. All right, Matt, let's take a look forward to the playoffs. So, seven teams from each conference, first time that this will happen, are in the playoffs. It is a new rule this season. Only the number one seed has a bye week. And that means we have an extra wildcard game this upcoming weekend. Three on Saturday, three on Sunday. In the NFC, let's just go through the teams. Number one, and with the bye, Packers, followed by the Saints, Seahawks, Washington football team, Bucks, Rams, Bears. In the AFC, the Chiefs have the bye, followed by the Bills at number two, Steelers, Titans, Ravens, Browns, and Colts. Matt. Let's go through our favorites in each conference and then make our predictions for the championship games and then the Super Bowl. Matt, who is your favorite in the NFC? As much as I would love to see the Packers win, I really think that the Saints are going to be, I think they're the most talented team in the NFC, and I think they're going to, be the representative in the Super Bowl. But I would love to see the Packers make the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers and his resurgence. 
But I'm going to go with the Saints coming out of the NFC. I'm going to go with the Packers for two reasons. One, I think that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in that conference right now. And an argument can be made that he's the best quarterback in the league right now. I think he's the favorite to win that MVP as well. I'm going with the Packers, though, mainly because they have home field advantage as well. And the Saints, yes, they've played better on the road, but a dome team going up to Green Bay, Wisconsin in January, I cannot imagine that being an advantage to them. I also don't love, I know that he had a couple, a three-touchdown game against the Carolina Panthers, but Drew Brees has not been Drew Brees this season, right? Whether he was in and hasn't put up the same numbers as he's done so in the past, missing some time due to injury, the Saints offense is not as explosive as it once was. (coughs) Excuse me. Why I think the Saints could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, though, is their defense. Their defense has been playing a lot better as of late. Probably the best I've seen the Saints defense play since I started to watch football. So I think that the Saints, if their defense is able to carry them and their offense do just enough, I could see them upsetting the Packers, but I don't love the Saints on the road. The Seahawks, I so want to say, Matt, I so they were my preseason pick to win it all. And I don't know, I watched them and something's off. They just don't, like, I, I know they beat the 49ers. I know it's a divisional game. I know the 49ers have played tough at points, but there's just something off about the Seahawks team. They're not exactly complete on either side of, of the ball, and I well, think sort of the, Se- the Seahawks sort of flipped. <laughs> I mean, the beginning of the season, their offense was the best in the league, and their defense was one of the worst. And now their defense is playing great, and their offense is struggling. So I, if they can put it all together, they'll be a dangerous team. But they haven't really been able to pretty much all season put everything together. Yeah. I know. I agree. So I don't know. I'm rooting for them. I just don't think that they're they're just not clicking on all all basis right now. But looking at the rest football team, I think will be out in the first round. The Bucks, the Bucks could be a dangerous team. We'll see. They've been playing their best ball as of late. We'll see if that they can make some noise as a wild card team. Rams. Rams are up and down too much. I I don't know. I don't think Jared Goff will be able to play following his thumb surgery. I don't have much faith in the Rams. And then the team I have even less faith in. And I think they would be making a mistake if they signed Mitch Trubisky to a long-term deal. The Chicago Bears. I think that the Bears will also be one and done this offseason. This postseason. Matt, let's take a look at the AFC. I mean, I don't want to call it a foregone conclusion. The game still have to be played, but in my mind, there's one clear-cut favor in the AFC. What about you? 
I totally agree. Like we were, we were talking about with the NFC, I, I think it's, the NFC is, aside from the football team and the Bears, I think every one of those teams, I, I know you don't like the Rams, but their defense is good enough to keep them in the conversation. I think the NFC is wide open. The AFC, the Super Bowl favorite at the beginning of the year is still the Super Bowl favorite, and it's going to be tough to bet against them. There's so much talent around Patrick Mahomes, and with Andy Reid, it's it's going to be they're going to be a tough out. Would love to see the Bills do some damage in the playoffs, but I think it's the Chiefs are the best team, and will probably be representing the AFC. Yeah. Now, I I'm going. I I think the Chiefs are the foregone favorite as well, but looking at the AFC teams, and, you know, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if the Bills were able to pull something off. The Steelers, I'll be honest with you, Matt, I'm very down on, right? They were lucky to come back against the Colts. They lost four of their last five games to end the season. I know the last game, Roethlisberger wasn't playing. Rudolph was starting against the Browns. The Browns named the game to clinch the playoff spot. They don't have a running game. I don't think that they have much momentum going into the playoffs. I don't love them. The Titans, I really think, could uh, possibly pose the biggest challenge to the Chiefs because what the Titans have going for them is a great running game. And the best way to beat a good offense is obviously a good defense but also a great running game because you run time off the clock – and they keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. The only problem is the Titans do not have a good defense. So they would really have to step up to the challenge that game. The Ravens, listen, I need to see Lamar Jackson get it done in the biggest games in the postseason. Browns. Yeah, I, I actually think I, I actually think the Ravens have looked really good the last few weeks, and I think they posed a threat to the Chiefs. If they can continue to run it the way they've been able to in the past few weeks, and if Lamar is able to show that he can throw the football. But I think their running game is very dangerous. Maybe, I mean, they don't have Derrick Henry, so the Titans have that going for them, but I think the Ravens are, are also dangerous and have looked good as of late. And obviously, as we know, last year, they're an incredible team. If Lamar can put it all together, I think they're a very, very dangerous team as well. No, yeah, and Matt, just one more thing off of that. Best thing going for them is they're playing their best ball at the right time. They're starting to hit their stride. They're heading towards their peak at the perfect moment. And this wild card weekend game will be a good one against the Titans and Ravens. Remember, it's a rematch of last year's divisional round. I'm sure Lamar Jackson will be looking for revenge in this one. Browns, Matt, I'll be honest with you. I think they need to hand the ball off to Nick Chubb 40, 50 times a game because I do not think Baker Mayfield can win them the game. They need to rely heavily on that running game and make things a lot easier for Mayfield. The the Browns are only as good as Nick Chubb, in my opinion, because Baker has not been able to show you that he can win you games. The Browns need to run the football. And then finally, the Colts. I'm sorry, with Philip Rivers, 
a career loser, a man that cannot get it done in the biggest moments. I do not have much faith in him this postseason. All right, Matt, with that being said, who is your prediction for championship games and the Super Bowl? So I think the the AFC championship, I think it's probably going to be the Chiefs and the Bills. I think those two teams have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. And I think the Chiefs are eventually going to both beat the Bills and then also win the Super Bowl. I know it's not not the sexiest pick since they're, they're the odds-on favorite in just about every poll that you look at. But I think they just have too much talent on both sides of the ball. And having a guy like Mahomes at home, it's going to be so tough. They're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. On the NFC side, I, I know I went with the, the Saints earlier. So I think the Saints are a great team. I, I think they're up there. I love the Packers, too. Like, like you said, the home field advantage is incredible. And I think that's going to be the one seed this year is such a big advantage yeah. compared to years past. Yeah. Having that, the one seed, I think both the number one seeds are going to be making the playoffs. And could I see someone knocking the Saints off before the Super Bowl? Yeah, I could definitely see it. But I, I think their defense has looked great. And if Drew Brees shows just enough to keep them in games, I think the Saints-Chiefs would be a great game in the Super Bowl. But but like I said earlier, I think the NFC is pretty pretty wide open. The Packers, having that one seed is going to be essential, especially being up in Lambeau, having that, that weather to your, to your advantage. But if a team like the Seahawks finds their stride and puts it all together, would I be surprised? Definitely not. And with Brady, you can't can't count the Bucks out either. I know. I know. And I'd, I'd be interested to see. So it doesn't – I don't know how bad Mike Evans' injury was, um, but if he's not playing, that's going to be – I think it's going to hurt them a little bit. Yeah, so with the NFC, I, I'm going with the Packers against the Seahawks because, again, I think that – Right now, Aaron Rodgers is playing like the best quarterback in football. Definitely in the NFC. And I think having home field will be a major factor for them. Major advantage for them. Seahawks. I'm going with the Seahawks because, again, I I haven't loved, like I said, how the Saints have been on offense at times. I do like how their defense is playing. But like you said, if the Seahawks can just put it together on both sides they can very well best be the best team in this conference. Bucks Bucks are a little worrisome to me. I I I think very similar to the Ravens like you said Matt, they're starting to play their best ball now. It wasn't exactly like they were beating the 85 Bears, the 16 0 Patriots down the stretch. They had a couple games against the Falcons, they destroyed the Lions, right? But, you know, a win's a win, and they were playing hot down the stretch. Could they carry that momentum into the playoffs? It wouldn't surprise me one bit. But right now, I'm going with the Packers against Seahawks in the NFC Championship with the Packers moving on. AFC, I'll go, Matt, just to switch things up, and you kind of put it in my head, Ravens needed to win out to make the playoffs. They're hitting their stride. 
I'll go Chiefs Ravens in the AFC Championship. I think Lamar Jackson is playing with confidence right now, and I think he wants to silence his doubters come the playoffs. But I have the Chiefs winning, advancing the Super Bowl against the Packers, and I'm going. You know, I hate to say it. I don't like predicting back-to-backs because I feel like that's the easy way out. But I'll go with the Chiefs over the Packers in this one. The Chiefs win their second Super Bowl in a row. Yeah, I mean, so the Chiefs this year, yes, they're 14-2. and two, With one of those losses coming when they rested just about everyone. They won a ton of one-score games this year. They haven't been dominating teams but they always find a way to win. So it'll be very interesting when they do have these playoff play every week. It's going to be very interesting if they can continue to win the one-score games. Clearly, we both think that they will be able to, and they've shown it in in the past few. These one-score games, a couple of their games could have gone either way. So that'll be interesting to look at, but I totally agree with you. I don't like picking the favorites, but I think the Chiefs are the best team, both talent-wise. They have Andy Reid, and having that home field advantage is even more coveted this year with only one team getting it. Yeah. All right, so let's quickly go down the list of the three wildcard games on Saturday and the three on Sunday, all right? And, I mean, I, I love it. I Wildcard weekend... It's very, I, I just hope for good games, honestly, because I'm not looking too excited for the Buccaneers-Washington game, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be surprised. Saturday, 1 o'clock, Colts at Bills. Matt, who do you got? I'm taking the Bills. Josh Allen has looked incredible, and I, I hope he keeps it going. Yeah, I'm going Bills, too. Phillip Rivers and the playoffs don't mix well either. Rams at the Seahawks. NFC West showdown. Round three between these two teams have played the both games pretty were were both close. Matt, who do you have? I'm gonna go with the Seahawks. I think it's a little dependent on if Jared Goff plays or not. If they have John Walford, I think it could be a get ugly pretty quickly. But if if Goff plays, I think the Rams have a much bigger chance. But regardless, I'm gonna go with the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm going Seahawks too. Either way, I think that. The Rams are too hit and miss. Really, Goff is too hit or miss. And that offense, too streaky for me. Buccaneers at Washington. Matt? I'm going Bucks here. I think this could could get ugly. Yeah. The football team. They they won the worst division in football this year, and I don't think that they're going to win a game. Can I just say real quick that even though I wanted the Giants to win the division, if there was one team I'm okay with losing it to, it's Washington because how great of a story, comeback story, is Alex Smith? I mean, he he was told there's a chance he could have died after his gruesome leg injury. He was able to come back. Not many players would do that, man. I don't know how he was able to have that mindset that he was going to come back and play in the NFL again. Just... It's incredibly impressive. He's a shoo-in for comeback player of the year and absolutely deserves it. Yeah, and then Ron Rivera having to go through chemo this season after he was diagnosed with cancer. Incredible story. Uh, just just a team easy to root for and a feel-good story at the end of the day. 
Ravens at the Titans. Matt, like I said, rematch of last year's divisional round. Who do you have? I'm taking the Ravens. I think Lamar gets rid of his playoff demons and, and finally finally gets a playoff win. Yeah, I mean, listen, I hate betting against Derrick Henry and amazing that he joined the 2,000-yard club, the 2,000 uh, rushing yard club. I, I, I just, I'm going with the hot hand and I'm going with the Ravens in this one. Bears at the Saints. Matt. I'm taking the Saints all the way. The Bears are a team that stumbled, started hot, stumbled. From then on, this game is going to be a blowout. The Saints are going to dominate. Bears are just lucky that they implemented the new rule this year of seven teams. I'm going with the Saints in this one. Browns at the Steelers to finish it off Sunday night. Round three of this AFC North matchup. I'm gonna go with the Steelers here. I would. I will say I would like to see the Browns get a win, but I, I don't know if we still have. But it, their coach Stefanski yeah. will not be coaching. Yeah, they have a couple. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on the COVID situation within their team. If they lose a couple of key players, that could even turn the tables even more against them. I'm really the Steelers f- haven't looked great at the end of the season, but I'm, I'm still gonna go with them. I think they're. They're, they'll assert their dominance of the, of the AFC North. Yeah, I'm going with the Steelers too. Matt, I'm really afraid what the COVID protocols are going to be with the playoffs because at times it got a little messy in the regular season. So I'm a little I'm a little nervous about the postseason. I got to be honest because there's a little less room for creativity. I'm nervous as well. Yeah. I think- because how does it work if a team like the Chiefs, let's say, worst case scenario, Mahomes gets test positive for COVID? Do you really think the NFL is going to not let Mahomes play? Well, that's the thing, though, too, because then, then you start to get into the competitiveness of the game. And the NFL has said throughout that they're not going to do it based on that. They're going to do it on the safety and, you know, scheduling and all that. But, I, I, I you know, it, it's a good question. I mean, do you see the NFL having a playoff game without one of its biggest stars on one of their best teams in a do-or-die game? I mean, you know, it's tough. I, I don't know. I re- I, I'm hoping we don't face a circumstance like that, but, you know, Crazier things have happened. But, Matt, listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me on this episode. Uh, I had a lot of fun, and I hope to do it again down the road. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the the invite, and would love to come back anytime. Always a good time talking sports with you. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And uh, I hope you enjoy your playoff football. Old School Sport will be back next week.